I had a CEO at the time. His name was David. And he said something to me that was probably the most impactful thing in, in my life. It was also probably one of the hardest things for me to hear as an individual. Uh, and he said to me, he said, he said, Philip, you're right all the time. And no one likes working with you. Now, he might have said a few choice words <laughs> <laughs> along the way and all of that, but he followed that up with probably one of the most kindest offers. He goes, I have a friend who's an executive coach. I'd love to pay for your first three months of spending time with you to teach you how to communicate better. And fast forward to over a decade later, I still do it. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 2% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back for another fun-filled, interesting, engaging episode we're going to expand your leadership mindset on this one. Today, I have for you Philip Turpin, who's the Chief Technology Officer over at Technology Advice, a full-service B2B media company that delivers marketing and data for 600-plus technology companies. Put another way, they actually connect technology providers with buyers who are actively researching products like theirs. Previously, he served as Executive Director of Product Engineering over at Ramsey Solutions, a Dave Ramsey company. And when not in the office, you can find him working on his farm just south of Nashville, Tennessee, one of my favorite towns. Philip, welcome to lead the team, sir. Thank you, Ben. It's a pleasure to be here. So y'all, we got to get this out of the way, figure out what are those cool instruments hanging on, uh, on the wall right behind you, Philip? There's like four of them. Well, yeah, there's probably more scattered elsewhere and now throughout the house. He used to be a musician in my youth, obviously transitioned into technology at one point in time, but you can't stop playing. And I believe that, you know, everything should be played. So that's why they're up there ready for me to get them. Beautiful. So I see there are four guitars, are they all guitars? Well, there's, there's probably, yeah, there's five back there. One's black. You probably can't see it because oh, the wall is black. Okay. Right. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Um, so there's electric, acoustic, 12 strings. I got a bass hanging up there. Um, oh, nice. So, so did you play in a band? But yeah, played played in a little band. Did a little folk music. Did a little punk music. Just uh, rock across the board. Uh, loved playing. Folk, then folk and punk. So you span the gamut musically. Yep. <laughs> so Saturday afternoon, you're looking at jam. What music are you playing? Holy moly! Um, it's really going to depend. Like you know, I'll I'll, I'll pick up some old school like uh uh mxpx or you go way way back and do some you know metallica if, if i'm really feeling fun uh love yes. hair bands love love the 1970s love the 90s uh it it just really varies if i'm playing with my kids uh we're playing all kinds of stuff from uh, uh church music to you know classic rock to a little bit of more modern punk stuff the happy stuff like the uh uh, uh that you might have heard like in the late 90s the more pop punk stuff all right and and so how are your kids I got 14, 12, two boys. Um, they both play guitar. And then I got my daughter, Madeline, who's eight. All right. And is she playing yet? 
She's playing a little bit of piano, which is taken after her okay. mom versus me. So, all right, okay, all right. So you're gonna have <laughs> we we fully expect the the Turpin Five to be, you know, eventually a, a touring family band. Um, you know, we've had a few musicians on this, and it's just been a real joy of mine because we've been able to expand our our idea of leadership and I really yeah. helping other people expand their ideas because leading a band has a lot of similarities with uh, leading a company. And, oh, and leading a team, you know, uh, how has your been experience with, uh, being in a band and now leading an organization? Well, I think what's interesting, you know, when you think about you, if you're in a band, right. Or especially best if you're a front man. So I'm a singer and a player, Okay, um, right. then yeah, then you, you have to have, it's pretty much your vision, right? So you've got to know where you want to go, how you, how you want it to sound, what you want to, to produce. You've got to have that vision and that why. And like, even, even you think about the, the customer you want to serve, right? So what audience do you want to have in place? You've got to have all of that understood in order to mm-hmm. produce something that people want to come see. Then you have to mm-hmm. figure out what is the, you know, funny enough, talk about leading a company, you've got to have the value proposition, which is, you know, are people coming to sit down and just, you know, just chill and listen to what you're doing? Or do you want them to form the mosh pit up front and get all dangerous? You know, <laughs> really all of that is, is catered to your customer and understanding what's the value proposition they're looking for. Nice. I agree. Perfectly stated, right? There are <laughs> over, a lot of overlaps. Um, and you, you know, I just love the fact that you've gotten your family involved in the whole deal too. You know, we've, um, I play a little guitar myself. It's, I don't, I don't play it nearly as frequently as you do, but I do think also, um, finding that creative inspiration can be helpful and learning how to create. And if you're, I, I find that musicians, people that continue creating uh, musically throughout their life do tend sometimes to be more creative leaders because they are, you know, used to sitting down and sort of getting engaged in something and you may play a riff over and over and over again before you kind of find that right way to, to work it in. I agree. Absolutely. So we talk about music an awful lot in this episode, but we've got a really interesting background so so philip want to make sure that we get to these so what was the event that changed the course of your leadership approach that's a great question um it's probably 15 years ago probably not that long after i started leading and you know i was the i was the leader that got into leadership for all the wrong reasons and yeah, I'm the, I, because I wanted to make more decisions, right? I wanted to be the person in control, et cetera, which is, you know, fast forward a decade and a half and I realized that's a totally wrong way to go about the whole thing. Um, and I had this, I had a CEO at the time, his name was David. And he said something to me that was probably the most impactful thing in, in my life. It was also probably one of the hardest things for me to hear as an individual. Uh, and he said to me, he said, he said, Philip, you're right all the time. And no one likes working with you. Now, he might have said a few choice words <laughs> along the way and all of that, but he followed that up with probably one of the most kindest offers. He goes, I have a friend who's an executive coach. I'd love to pay for your first three months of spending time with him hmm. to teach you how to communicate better. And fast forward over a decade later, I still do it. It is. It has hmm. been life-changing, and it changed my perception of what really good leadership was. You know, David had the uh, compassion he won. He's, he had the compassion to tell me what I needed to hear, even though it was hard. And he said it in a loving way, not in a, not in a, a way that was shaming or condemning or anything along those lines. And then he offered to coach me and help me get through it, right? Because he saw something in me that might, you know, ultimately lead to a better career. And so I have to, you know, it forever changed my perspective of everything. And my time with that executive coach taught me so much about um, everything that's 
you know, everything around leadership. And this is David as in David Ramsey. No, this is David as in David Fredrickson. Okay. All right. A different. And he was your manager at the time, or he was a coach that was external. So he was, no, he was my CTO at the time. Oh. And, um, yeah, he, he, or not CTO, he was my CEO at the time. And, uh, uh back when I was with a company, a healthcare startup called patient focus. You know, it's, it's so important that I, I believe executive leaders to understand the difference between coaching and mentoring. Okay. Mm -hmm. And being able to, to step into that role. And I think a lot of, a lot of leaders really feel like they're coaching when they're really mentoring and mm -hmm. mentoring, you know, making that distinction. And so from my perspective, and I'd be curious about yours, mentoring is like, Hey, this is what I did to get here. And this is what I think you should do next versus coaching is allowing you to sort of work through it and find your own answers. Uh, what's your perspective on, on those two things? Yeah, I, I'd agree. I think that, you know, mentoring is interesting. It is a, it's, it's, walking with someone along something that they haven't done before, typically because you have experience doing it, right? Whether that is, uh, you know, in my world, we had, you know, lead a lot of software engineers uh, for most of my career, you know, that's a more senior person walking alongside a more junior person, helping to show them and guide them the way. Coaching is different for me. Like coaching is such a moment where we are, um, you're, you've, the person's typically set a path that they want to achieve. Um, it's, Everybody can get a coach. A CEO can get a coach. A CTO can get a coach. It's someone who's who's you've set the goal sitting in front of you, and and they're going to help walk with you along the way. They're going to guide you. They're going to help you figure out the right way of doing things. When you think about like a sports coach, um, it's it's teaching you the fundamentals. It's walking with you, mm -hmm. making sure, reminding you to do those fundamentals. Right? Like, I mean, it's you know how 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 often do I have to be reminded not to be a slave to my calendar? It's a big deal, yeah. Yeah. But, right? And so that's something that a coach will do for me. Or I can just replay a conversation. This is what I did early on in executive coaching. I would, I'd replay a conversation that didn't go so well. Mm. And that person would help me walk through what happened. How was I perceived? Did I actually, did I actually employ empathy in the conversation? All of those things. And they're walking me through the complexities of my situation that are very unique to me. And which honestly spurs a ton of growth when you can do it right. So right now today, are you thinking about coaching as seeking it internal to your organization, or do you have an external coach? Are you taking a break, or how are you approaching coaching right now for yourself? So, right now, um, I do. Uh, yeah, right now, I'm actually in the, in the middle. I'm in between coaches, individual coaches, um, but I actively encourage and teach my internal team. Like I believe, a, a really, really good leader in an organization is a really, really good coach. Mm. You know, two of my favorite books that are around the topic are like Coaching for Performance or The Coaching Habit. Two wonderful oh, yeah. books on the, con on, on the I'm concept. I'm familiar with both of those. Yeah. Coaching Great Habit, books. Michael Bungay Stanier. Yeah. Um, that One of the things I love about that book, and shout out to Michael, is he, it makes it so simple. It's like, hey, here are the six questions that you need to think about. Yeah. And uh, man. If you just use those, you can get really far with coaching others and even coaching yourself. Oh, yeah, because it's it's just the very, very simple question. When I think about the one-on-ones. I remember when I read The Coaching Habit, my next one-on-one, -on -one, I tried it. Hmm. And it was markedly different, right? Like, I yeah. went, wow, it really was that easy. <laughs> and so, I, but it's funny because the truth is, and when you, you know, I, I liken the two books to be a little bit different. I think The Coaching Habit is, is very, very practical. I think that the coaching for performance is more like a textbook. Yep. I mean, it's a masterclass in the concept. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you, when you start to understand the theory behind why The Coaching Habit is so effective in terms of most people have the answer, 
how do you get the answer out of them? How do you encourage that critical like thinking that. to where they can better solve their own problems versus you always giving them the answer? Yeah. So when's a time when you, you were using this, maybe it's this example of one-on-one and you were really trying to think about, instead of just telling your employee what to do or your team member, you, you engage them with the coaching. What, what was, what was that experience like and what were the end results? Well, I think it's interesting. And it often happens to me when, when someone is, let's say they're struggling with a, with a team, getting a team moving. Um, and you know, you ask a lot of questions and I think that's probably one of the biggest difference between like mentorship and coaching. You're asking a lot of questions and hoping to pull out of the person more details until they come up with a realization. And so if someone, um, you know, for instance, if someone has a team member that is, um, is underperforming, right. Asking questions, very simple questions like, well, what are you observing? Walk me through some scenarios. What are you seeing? How are they interacting with other team members? What are the behaviors? What are the specific behaviors that you're observing in that team member? How might you solve that? Or, or how, what have you tried? Like you start to go in down this path and out of it, you can come up with, um, well, you know, well, what do you want to be the outcome? And that's mm. funny enough. That's a hard question to ask. Well, what do you want to be the outcome? Cause the outcome might be, I, I want to terminate this person. Okay. That's, that's a different conversation. But if you want to save that person, well, that's going to set a different set of objectives in front of us of how do we create that plan? All right. And then are you going to commit to going and walking that out to, to use the grow model specifically from uh, uh, coaching for performance? You're going to, are they going to commit uh, to, to executing on the thing? You get that buy-in, that commitment, and then they hopefully walk out the plan. Um, and it really, for me, those moments in, in coaching, it, it's, it builds confidence in the individual, which I think is uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it also uh, encourages that critical thinking component that hopefully next time what that team member can do is is have already thought through a lot of those questions that you've asked in the past come to you with and they're further along and eventually you get to the point where they're they're almost answering it for you right they're saying hey here's what i intend to do about this situation i've thought through all of these things that you typically ask me and here's what we're going to roll with does that sound okay to you and then it's you know it's a carte blanche thumbs up in the email and and uh, you're about to marry away yeah yeah that's the ideal because i think a lot of leaders they never get to that part because they don't take the time. And I, I think for leaders that are not used to going about it and really thinking about coaching their team members, it feels like wasted time. Yeah. Like they're like, I'm asking all these questions. I know the answer. Did she to go do their work? But I, I love what you just said because you gave an example. What I think every leader would like is the other people are keeping you updated right? They're answering their own questions and they're being more creative in, in how they're approaching right. it. And you do, and it's less work for you. And you're really harnessing the, the full creative brain power of your team. Yeah, and that's way. where you, you think about the concept uh, that's, that's well-known the leadership lid. If you're answering every single question for your team, your ability to be creative and critical thinking in creative or critical thought yeah. is the cap of the business. And so, but if you can broaden that out and distribute that out across the organization, people from different backgrounds and different understandings and, you know, again, diverse ways of thinking, if they're aligned to the principles that you use to make the decision, you just amplified your ability to create uh, a throughput. And then that Mm. frees you up to go work on something that's might be more important to the business, right? Whether revenue producing or profit producing or, or whatever. Well. Cool. Well, let's let's advance the conversation a little bit. So we really, and thank you for all those insights on coaching. I think all leaders listening today 
you know, we've talked about the importance of having your own coach as an executive leader. I think it comes up thematically, but also I think it's really helpful to think about them, you as a, as a leader coaching your team. Now, you previously worked inside of David Ramsey organization, and David Ramsey, Dave Ramsey is obviously uh, out producing a lot of content, a lot of helpful information, coaching and whatnot. Uh, what was it like being a leader inside his organization? It, it was it was great. I mean, uh, the, the organization itself was was obviously remarkably well run, very transparent. Probably some of my favorite moments in the organization were around the transparency that leadership had. It was a, it, it was good to be to see modeling uh, of what um, what that can get you in trust within the organization. Hmm. I think also um, probably one of my biggest lessons that I learned there, and I'd heard I'd heard conflicting information for the few years before I I went to work for 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 Dave, and it was um, you know can you can you really be friends with the people that you lead, right? Can you really hmm. build relationships with the people that you lead? Because if you do, it's really hard, right? It's hard to have the hard conversations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I would say, without a doubt, one of the things that was modeled within the organization was that true relationships really matter. Hmm. Because honestly, and, you know, you know Lencioni backs this up and many other researchers back it up, but, you know, businesses move at the speed of trust. And the best way to have good trust is to have strong relationships with the people that, that, yeah. that report to you. Or, you know, it's not just people that report to you. It's your peers. It's your leader. It's et cetera. And what that does is, so like, for instance, my one-on-ones, I would say, 70% of the time were, Hey, how's, how, how's your spouse? How are the kids? Hmm. What's going on in your world? Because actually understanding that whole person that was coming into the organization was essential to driving uh, better results, right? Trust is better formed. It also allowed me as a leader to give grace when grace is needed, right? If they're going through something, I can, you know, give them extra days off or whatever they need to really go take care of that thing versus, you know, if I didn't know, I would just wonder why their results, results were failing. Yeah, it's funny that the secret sauce of success often comes back to trust, which comes back to just treating people like people and having yeah, yeah. and really caring about the relationships uh, yeah, and, and, and asking those questions. That's absolutely right. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because I I didn't necessarily understand that when I again when I got into leadership originally you know, 15 years ago or whatever it was. It was so much to 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 make more decisions and things like that. And, and as I wanted business, the businesses that I was a part of to win and mm -hmm. through research and again, good coaching from outside resources, I found out I didn't discover it. It's been discovered by, you know, many, many other leaders, not me, that the number one way to have a, a business to succeed is to have really, really healthy teams. If teams yeah. are remarkably healthy, they perform better. And so what's the best way to create healthy teams? Then you go down that rabbit hole and you find things like coaching and real mentorship and, and, and psychological safety and all of these other things that are so important to having that very, very healthy team and they just perform better. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Well, let's talk about that. What's your passion around creating healthy work environments, which I know is something important to you? Shoot, healthy work environments. Um, you know, I think that, again, I would say it starts with a relationship, 
Um, and I have I have theories around this that 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 have borne out over the years for me specifically. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I've hired a lot of engineers in my career, and with without a question um, or without with without a, a, a exception, I've seen that everybody comes into my team and they have experienced something that has caused them to have some behavior that may or may not be wanted. Um, I can often think in, in, you know, someone that might not ask for help, right? Let's take that as a great example. I've had not often, that's a very, very common situation specifically in the engineering space. They don't ask for help. Well, understanding why they're not asking for help instead of just getting upset or frustrated and just say, Hey, I need you to ask for help more. Understanding why allows you to figure out how to permanently solve that problem. Hmm. And because what happens, what I've experienced universally is that someone has come in and typically through a different leader or a different organization, an unhealthy organization, they've come in with some kind of leadership wound. Mm -hmm. And that wound might be rooted in fear. Let's say if they asked for help, they were seen as less than, and that organization might cull the bottom 20% of performers. So asking for help was actually detrimental to their success in their career. Mm -hmm. Imagine what that would create for, for behaviors. Or for instance, maybe when they asked for help, their leader would roll their eyes and be dismissive of the fact that they didn't understand it. So that now it was rooted in shame or guilt, yeah. Yeah. or maybe it was a prideful problem. Whatever it was, the moment that you can unpack what's under the surface of that behavior, let's say, let's, let's take it from the fear approach. If you can create an environment where that person can safely fail, safely ask for help, and it's not seen as something that's negative that's going to cost them their job. In fact, they, you know, they do it enough to get a promotion because they actually get better. They actually perform better over time because they learn. Then I found within 6 to 12 months, that bad behavior goes away. Wow. We are the product of our environments. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, as, as the C-suite uh, leader of your team, that's something to really think about. What's the environment? that you're creating and recognize that newer people to the organization, they're bringing their history from their previous yep. organizations that may have, may have troubled them deeply. You get a chance to shift that. What, what's an example of, uh, of a time when someone came in and was able to achieve great things you think specifically because of the, of the environment? Well, I've, uh, honestly, I think there have been numerous cases of this. Um, mm -hmm. Some of my favorites have been where um, you look at the product or environment. I don't want to talk too much about the product and the environment, but, but in the environment they were in, um, uh, solo behavior was rewarded, right? Mm. Meaning acting out and being your own yeah. resource was rewarded. And this person was in this environment for well over a decade, right? And they were rewarded continuously mm. by that that particular behavior. And the rest of the organization looked at this individual and they thought, well, why are they cowboying it up? Why aren't they, why aren't they bringing other people into the conversation? Why aren't they being more inclusive? But no one took the time to actually understand why did that behavior exist? And spend the time to coach that individual say, hey, we're trying to create a slightly different environment than the environment that you worked in. This individual was, was probably one of the sharpest engineers I've worked with in my entire career. And the fact that we were able to work through over the course of probably six to 12 months, refining and letting him practice that different behavior, mm -hmm. right? Practice mm -hmm. in a very safe way. Nope, you're not going to be 
fussed out if you go work with that other individual yep. over there or try to bring a team along with you. It's not wasting resources if you bring two other more junior people along with you to go solve this problem. In fact, I'm really hoping that you're going to raise all the ships up alongside you. Then it's funny in six months, you know, he's seen as one of the top influencers within the organization. Love that example. And it hits home for me too, because one of my original organizations that I worked in when I was when I worked in corporate, I was rewarded for that independent style. Like, hey, solve the problem. Get it mm -hmm. done. Move on to the next thing. And I think as I went along in my career, I realized, wait a minute. And not only anyone necessarily had that form of direct communication like you were providing, I think that would have been really helpful. But I figured out, wait a minute, this is really going to limit my growth if I keep on in, in this way. And I'm not growing my team. Uh, I'm not really building the, up the people around me if I'm just keeping everything sort of on my own laptop, essentially, getting mm -hmm. stuff done. For, for a leader listening today who's maybe in a situation where that's the environment that they're in and maybe their team is in what's a first step that you'd recommend that they take to sort of round the corner and start creating a different uh, creating that different kind of environment another great question um i'm gonna go back to about kind of one of my earlier answers i think start with a relationship and make sure that you understand and you're spending time getting to know each member of the team um if you're not doing weekly one-on-ones, I mean, that's to me, that's the basis, right? You've got to be able to have the conversation with the individual frequently, right? And you're checking in and you're setting goals around it. Um, I would say the first thing though, like, let's say you're observing the behavior. The first step is to just be curious. Don't be critical right away. Be very curious and ask a lot of open-ended questions. Like, for instance, let's say, hey, you know, what did you observe? Um, hey, how did, how did the room react when you responded like this in the room? How do you think, you know, and then listen to their observations and do a couple more probing questions until hopefully that individual, unless they're completely obtuse, right, saw the room maybe go cold when they responded. Well, if the room went cold when they responded, okay, well, why do you think that was? Hmm. Like, what do you think that the rest of the room is feeling when you did that? And you start to understand and start to unpack that. And eventually you'll get to the point where. They say they'll the the thing will come out. Well, that's just not how I'm used to operating. Or, um, but you know, you know why I do that? I do that because of man that uh, when I was in college, I was in this particular class, and the teacher always did this, 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 and this, and it made me feel like blah, right? And all of a sudden, you go, oh, well, are you still feeling that way? Do I make you feel that way? You start to unpack some of that. And like, funny enough, like I've seen moments where like, yeah, when I interact with this person on the team, it's like flashing back to five years ago. Well, and you're not, and let me be, there's one thing to call out here. You're not meant to be anybody's therapist, right? I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. And that's not my make goal. Note that for everybody, <laughs> right? I'm not, you may not recover why, and that's okay. <laughs> but get them thinking about it. But get them processing some of that information and then create a plan around it, right? Because hopefully if you're a leader, you're good at creating plans. And if you can if you can help that team member set really clear goals that you can check in on a regular basis and 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 
make sure that they can achieve that goal. Like, let's say you're trying to create those safe environments. Now, this is another thing I think that's on top of that's on the responsibility of the leader. And you're right from earlier, it takes more time. But part of your goal is to create opportunities. And so what opportunities are you creating for that team member that are specific to their situation? Right. Who are you pairing them up with? Who are you? What what uh, projects can you put them on where they can stretch and experience some of that discomfort, but also win through it? Right. And it's, you know, I'm a big fan of like individualized growth plans. It's something I'm, you know, mm. working with, with inside the new organization to make sure that we're doing a really, really good job of that, that kind of very intentional team member growth. Yeah. So good. So many nuggets within that around coaching, around creating a healthy environment, and also so many practical strategies, Philip, specifically on how to do it. So mm -hmm. a lot of good stuff in there. And as we begin to start to bring this to a close, I, I need to understand, I, I got to ask about farming. Okay. Like, because <laughs> musician, Dave Ramsey's organization, technology, now you're into, you know, a really cool company, uh, which maybe, maybe you can tell us a little, a little bit about as well. But where does farming fit into this and why? Well, it's funny. I think the COVID changed the world for a lot of different people. And during that time period, my wife and I were saying we want to, uh, we're outgrowing our, our home because we were still in the starter home that we were in. And we started looking around and we found um, a piece of property south of Nashville that was a little more than we originally wanted, but um, is pretty. And I'm originally from Southern California. And so like for me, I don't know anything about farming. But there is a it, what what I think has been fun for me, and maybe, and I don't know if any other C suite folks can can relate to this. But but the the pleasure that comes for me, whether it's working with the land, like my wife and I are working on a really big garden this year. We've got some big goals around like how much of how much food are we going to produce this year? Again, one of our goals this year specifically is how do we give out of the abundance of of, of which we can create. Hmm. Um, cool. But what I see is there is you know let's say I'm out mending fences and. Could I totally pay somebody to mend fences? Absolutely. But what I don't necessarily get in, in my day-to-day -day work is that joy of seeing something complete in the moment. Hmm. Because often I might be working on a six or 12 or 18 month plan that's not going to manifest. Let's say, you know, we're doing digital transformation. Well, that's, that's a long time culture shift. You might see micro progress every month or so but you don't see the, the the culmination of that thing. And there is a phenomenal release that comes from when you can see something done. Mm. And so it's, you know, for me, it's not the checklist of the day. It really is like, I can stand back, look and say, that is something that I accomplished. And so for me, that's, you know, farming is that release. Cool. Cause it's seasonal and you can mm -hmm. see the results physically and you're working in the digital world. Yeah. So you're not only are your projects really long in the nature, but a lot of them are taking place in the cyber world. Yep. <laughs> you know, versus how you can pick up the vegetables or, or, or what are y'all farming? Is it? Yeah. So we, we, uh, we're, we're, this year we're doing a lot of vegetable work, uh, at least some of the land to a gentleman runs cattle on it. Um, okay. and so there's some of that as well. Um, but really it's just, it's taking care of the land that's around me. And so, you know, we're, we have big plans. We've already started it. And so we're continuing this year to invest in, in, um, a more, uh, food forest type type work okay. where we're creating, you know, uh, orchards and things like that around the property. So there's just perpetual food again, with the goal that, that, um, we can hopefully give out of that abundance to, to folks that might need it. Wow. Um, and because we can, and for us, it's more of a, it's just more of an activity versus a, uh, a, a must have for life. So were you, you just YouTubing, like, how do I mend a fence? How do I plant an orchard? 
<laughs> well, yeah, a little bit. This. I mean, I, I I have had to do a lot of research, and it's been pretty funny. Like, I could oh. probably nerd out a little bit about things like Google Mounds and other stuff. Um, I went down the YouTube rabbit hole of um, geothermal greenhouses, which is a mm. remarkable concept. Um, oh, yeah. No. So there's a ton of like, and that's another thing. It's learning a new thing. It's, you know, for the first time in many, many years, I'm walking back and being a beginner for the first time. Mm. And there is a, there's both a challenge that comes from that as well as a, just a joy to walk into that beginner environment. And are you going to screw up a lot? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gonna Going to mess up a whole bunch. but. Again, if you can make, you can steadily see your own individual progress as you're beginning to understand what's going on. And, uh, it's been, it's been phenomenal. But yeah, a lot of you, a lot of YouTube, a lot of articles buying books for native plants and things like that. Well, I think it's fantastic. And it is, it is a, th it is a theme in lead the team and that leaders are often getting that, you know, they, they really exhibit and model what it's like to be a lifelong learner. And it doesn't always and often it's not necessarily about business. It's about mm -hmm. something, whether it's something you know related to their exercise routine or nutrition or or exercise or or I think you might be the first farmer, but <laughs> certainly won't be the last, I'm sure. Uh, but but man, what a what a cool, cool hobby slash I guess passion project mm -hmm. slash second career. I don't know. Well, I guess to be continued how your how the farming uh how the farming continues. But I love the way they're using farming as a way to reflect and learn, become a lifelong and, and continue life as a lifelong learner. But also what you said is, is as a broader mission about giving out of abundance. So I'm assuming one day you'll produce enough food that you can give it give it to the communities. Is that yeah? I mean, you know, ultimately what my wife and I would love to do is we'd love to create a place where um once the farm is really working, like it's producing enough, there's enough activities to do. We'd love to have people that are, uh, we'd love to create some housing environments for people to come down and that need to rest or recuperate or that may be lost and can spend months with us, get on their feet. Um, if they can participate in the farm, obviously we can figure out how do we help them get on their feet financially, teach them life skills and so on and so forth. And maybe use the network that both of us have acquired in our careers to find them an opportunity that can actually uh, get them into a better place um, and, you know, be self-sufficient. That's our ultimate goal. And that'll probably take a couple of years uh, to really get spun up because uh, we just really kicked that off in the past six months. Oof. So cool. Thanks for sharing that with us, Philip. Yeah. And as we wrap up here, what's your parting thought for our listeners today? Man, um, I think, I think it's, it's interesting. Like there's, there's, there's two things that I think that have that have really taught me the most in my career. And if if I had reround the clock and 20 years ago, someone said, these are the things that, that you're going to uh, uh, value the most in terms of your own growth, I would have laughed at them because they were so counterintuitive to who I was. You know, again, 20 year 20 year ago, me was was probably not fun to work with as as David said. But I would say the first thing was uh, around the concept of empathy getting to know what matters most to other people uh, because there's honestly something magical that happens when people have a shared understanding because people feel seen, they feel heard 
And it's one of the fastest ways of trust is to be able to step into someone else's shoes and understand whether that's your peers, direct reports, or leader, right? Now, my only caution there is it has to be genuine, right? Because if it's not genuine, then it's almost guaranteed to backfire. But so have true empathy. And the second thing that is alongside that is to really be brutally honest with yourself. Hmm. You know, you, you have to know your strengths, you have to know your weaknesses, what your motivations are. And, and, and I think the other thing you have to be willing to do is admit what you want out loud. And because I think if you don't acknowledge, if you don't acknowledge that out loud, you don't acknowledge where you want to go and uh, what it's actually going to take to get there. You don't ever name it. Then you can't honestly look at the gaps that you have for yourself and improve. Hmm. And so I think being honest and being empathetic are probably, you know, being brutally honest with yourself and being empathetic with others is probably the two biggest um, uh, drivers in, in my own career now. Thanks for coming on the show today. Two great points for leaders to be reflecting on empathy and honesty empathy with others and creating that shared understanding but honesty not just with others but but with ourselves as you said brutally honest thanks philip thank you very much ben if you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting do this before you do anything else Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of The Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.